All right, here we go. Um, Full Profits Podcast. We talking sports boxing this time around. All right, name your five top Mexican boxers of all time or currently. All time. I don't know. I don't know about nothing currently. Oh, man. This is a hard one. Um, I would have to put um, Eric Morales in there. This is in no order. Eric Morales oh. is definitely oh. in there. Um, I would have to put um, Juan Manuel Marquez in there. Um, I'd have to put Julio Cesar Chavez in there. Um, Mexican, pure Mexican, like could be Mexican American. Okay, okay. I, I, I would put Oscar De La Hoya in there. Okay. And believe it or not, I put Marco Antonio Barrera. Um, that isn't a believe it or not. Like I would definitely put him in there. Yeah. Yeah, I will put Marco Antonio Barrera in there. All right, that's uh, I know there's some obvious names that are missing, but you know that's my that'd be my top five. And I'm pretty sure I'm missing some guys from years past, but yeah. you know. Yeah, but I mean, for now we'll we'll go with that. So mine would be no order. It would be Juan Manuel Marquez, Marco Antonio Barrera, uh, Eric Morales, Salvador Sanchez. Yeah, Salvador Sanchez. Yeah, and. I know a lot of people don't know who this guy is, and he he fought at like a flyweight, uh, but he didn't fight a lot of the a lot of guys like moving up. But Ricardo Lopez, he won like fifty one fights. And he oh had, like, wow! Okay, ball. you know what I mean. Cool. But he only fought at like one weight, one or two weight classes, and he didn't like really move up. But um, he would right. be in one of my he would be in there too. And I guess I would throw like a uh, Zarate, who was another one. He was a really good boxer as well. Okay. I start all that off to say, uh, through the course of, I guess, our top five, those guys fought everybody. They didn't, they didn't do a lot of ducking and dodging. And up until now, I guess about, what, five to seven years ago, we started seeing a lot of guys. They're doing a lot of moving out of the way of the top fighters. Um, it's taken away from the sport of boxing, um, and it's making them like more of a a show instead of, you know, a, a, a king of the hill type of mentality where you got guys who go in and fight for the best, for, for the top, for the top spot. So currently we see one guy specifically named Saul Canelo Alvarez, who recently said he was only going to fight two guys this year, one being BJ Saunders and the other being uh, Caleb Plant, right? Well, so is. Abney Yildirim is going to be okay. in February. Okay. His okay. so-called his so-called mandatory, which he doesn't have any mandatories. No. And you know who who selects a guy coming off a loss? That's that's a whole other conversation. But the other guys, in terms of fight unifications at 168, uh, Billy Joe Saunders is going to be Cinco de Mayo. I guess that May 8th, the following weekend. Yeah. And then K Caleb Plant for Mexican Independence is going to be, I think, September 11th. Correct. Correct. So. It's a, it's amazing that 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 was able to happen when you have a guy like uh, Demetrius Andre on the same network as you, but you didn't take that fight. And it's not surprising because BJ Saunders talked enough shit to get Andre's attention. And when Andre said, all right, I'll take that fight, he backed off. But I'm not sure if he backed off because he knew he had that Canelo fight in the bag or if 
he was just doing the usual bumping of the gums. So right now- A, li- a little bit of both. Huh? <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's a little bit of both, but uh, I feel like, man, to me, if you're going to talk that shit, you got to be about it too. Like if, if, if telling me that I'm not ready for that type of fight or telling me that I'm not in your, in your league, you have to show me, show me that I'm, show me that I'm not in your league. If I'm such a easy fight, take the fight and, and prove that, you know, like I'm not worth my medal. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. I don't see that a lot of that happening. Um, and along the way we have also seen, I guess, recently, Canelo said he's not going to fight any Mexican fighters. At the top of the heap of the 168 division, there's a guy named uh, David Benavides. And to me, he's the best guy at 168. That's just my opinion. It don't have to be nobody else's, but in my opinion. I I share the same opinion. Okay. All right. All right. So in our opinion, David Benavides is a top fighter. He's 24 years old. I think he is the youngest champion in history at 168. 168 and, and two-time WBC champion. Two-time, two-time champion. And for those who aren't aren't aware of what we what we mean when we say two-time, it means the first time he lost he lost his belt because of a violation. He was doing cocaine or whatever it was, and they took the belt from him. The second time was due to this pandemic and him not being able to uh, work out properly. Uh, so he was one of the first guys involved in the pandemic. And when he tried to go to the gym and do all his running and all his other things, they didn't have the proper equipment set up for him. And then they didn't allow him to work out properly. So uh, he lost his, he's lost his belt due to those type of violations. But in any event, he is really one of the best boxers or the top boxer at 168. I don't see a lot of guys that can give him um, a really good fight. And it, I think it's because he's very spirited he doesn't, he does come forward, but he, when he comes for it, he does use his jab. I've seen him back off doing certain fights where he just uses his jab to show people that he can uh, sit out on the outside and just jab. But he does have that spirit of being able to just walk in and walk you down, cut off the ring and, and just punish you uh, until you just can't take anymore. So recently there was, I guess, some words came out by Saul Canelo Alvarez, where he said that he's not going to fight any Mexican boxers. Which is ridiculous, a ridiculous statement to me if that's what, what was actually said. Um, throughout the course of history, the guys that we have named have all fought Mexican boxers. And Canelo Alvarez himself has fought Mexican boxers. How be, however, the Mexican boxers that Canelo Alvarez have fought throughout the course of history have been guys that he know that he, can t- that he had the advantage over. At the top of 168 is David Benavidez, a guy he doesn't have much of an advantage over besides experience in the ring. You know, he's uh, he's been a box office guy since he fought Mayweather. He's been at the top of the heap as far as uh, clout, which is what they're calling it now. He's uh, been able to garner all the attention. He's a very big name. But outside of that, when it comes to getting in the ring and fighting, David Benavidez is not a guy you're just going to just mow over. And to me, when you make a statement like, I'm not going to fight any Mexican fighters, it's the weirdest shit in the world to hear. That's like black fighters saying, I'm not going to fight any black fighters. I mean, yeah, I I agree. To me, he's not saying I'm not going to fight any Mexican fighters. What he's really saying is, I'm not going to fight David Benavidez. Let's let's have a real conversation. There There isn't another, other than maybe Zerto, there is no other Mexican boxer 
in or in and around his division that's that's um a threat or up there high in the rankings or a belt holder so he's only talking about two guys he's talking about Zerto, who he sparred, he's talking about David Benavidez. And the reason why he's saying that is because he believes they can both beat him. Absolutely. And, and also, this is the first time he's mentioned not fighting somebody. That's actually number two on his list. Number one on his list is what you don't hear him say, which is I won't fight any black fighters in their prime who are unbeaten. Correct. I'll fight a, I'll fight a black fighter or any fighter who I think I have a tremendous advantage over who has multiple losses or maybe damaged goods, but I'm going to duck an Andre to 154 and in 160 and now 168. I'll duck a, both Charlo brothers at 154, Jamal at 160, and now at 168. And I'll duck a David Benavidez, who was a two-time WBC champion, but because Canelo is the uh, uh, president, or let's say he's the CEO of WBC. Suleiman may be the president, but Canelo is the CEO. Then basically... Somehow WBC says, we'll let Callum Smith, uh, let's be honest, the guy who's fought nobody, we'll, we'll make this a unification. They made the unification because they knew Canelo was going to beat Callum Smith. Because they want Canelo to have the WBC belt. They always make the WBC belts available for Canelo. So, and the reason why they say they justified is because, well, he's a franchise. So because he's a franchise, we get in there. But if you're a franchise, you're also not supposed to have mandatories, but he's calling Yildirim. A mandatory. A mandatory, correct. And how do you become a, a mandatory when you're the second person on the rankings? So so somehow you were able to bypass the guy who's at the top, which is David Benavides. How are you even able to be ranked number two when you lost to Darrell two years ago? Yes. You're coming off a loss. You haven't beat anybody ranked. And, and you've been on knocked top, out a couple times, too. And, and you've been knocked out a couple times. And the guy... Who, the guy who most recently held the belt was David Benavidez. And on top of that, Anthony, David Benavidez beat the guy and knocked the guy out who never been knocked out, who beat Yildirim. Yeah. So, so I find it interesting that Canelo wants this unification and he had no interest in the WBC belt when Benavidez was the two-time WBC champion. But now all of a sudden, he found a way to work around that. Now, part of that is David's fault. Number one, cocaine, young, I get it. We all make mistakes. Number two, pandemic, he didn't make weight, right? Um, so we get that. He lost it. So, you know, Canelo, let's, let's give him credit. And Oscar, too, and the Reynosos, he's had by far the best kind of scripted matchmaking and being kind of coddled his entire career. He's yeah. got a lot of names on his resume, but you have to look at when he fought those guys. He's never fought anybody that was really a true threat in, Other their, than prime. Maybe in their prime. And, you know, and I, I would say Triple G was even beyond his prime, but I don't even consider Triple G an elite fighter. No. You look at the elite fighters, he ducked Andrade, elite fighter. He ducked Charlo, both Charlos, elite fighters and champions. And Andrade, the champion. And he ducked uh, uh, Benavidez, two-time WBC champion. So he keeps ducking young hungry champions who always happen to be black or brown yeah same weight class everything same skill not same skill set but able to give him a fight a noteworthy fight like you're not going to leave out of that fight and say i didn't take any punishment you're going to have to work you're going to have yeah. to work these are the type of fighters that we would say are dogs like these dudes are these are these right. are animals they're wolves and and they look they're looking for that type of fight 
We've seen people right. call him at call him out at 154. We've seen people call him out at 160 and now at 168. Uh, I recently heard a couple months ago, not recently, a couple months ago, I heard that Bivol at 175 said he wanted that fight with Canelo. Um, yeah, Bivol and, and Betrabiev have both called out Canelo. And, and, yeah. and we both know Betrabiev is a very hardened dude, and he doesn't come to play. Like, he, he is yeah. in there to destroy. Canelo has already told Betrabiev, no. Yeah. And, and I heard Bivol say that he, he was willing to drop down to 168 or do a catch. Yes, he, yes, he was. And to which Canelo said no. Yeah, of course. So it seems to me that as far as boxing goes, man, we're in a state where the best do want to fight the best, but there's always a stipulation in there when it comes to certain champions. And if, as far as this, this franchise belt go, I'm, I'm – I think this is a like what what do you call it another duck piece like another way to move you out of the way like well, who's Devin Haney who's asking for these belts so is 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 Devin Haney has a great thing thing when he was on the uh I forget who he, who he was who I can get credit to uh actually matter of fact he was on Max Kellum was on Max Boxing and he said that fran- if somebody's a franchise champion have a franchise belt that's the duck belt and so the way the franchise came about Suleiman did an interview and said well. Uh, um, uh, who was it in the, who the Tiafimo just beat with Loma. Loma? Loma asked for the franchise designation. Loma and Canelo, but before that, he tried to throw Loma under the bus because he's low hanging fruit now. But it was Canelo who asked for the franchise first. Canelo asked for it so he could avoid Charlo. All right. And then Loma asked for it so he could avoid Devin Haney. Jamal Charlo was. has Canelo's belt. Canelo held the belt at middleweight at 160 pounds WBC because he didn't want to fight Charlo and there was no way around it. He dropped the belt and moved. Then he he got franchised. Same thing with Loma. Loma didn't want to fight Devin Haney, who was his mandatory. So that's why you hear Tiafimo saying he's an email champion. Well, actually, no. The guy you beat thought he had the chance to beat you and not Haney, which is why he ducked Haney and asked for the franchise designation. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then, you know, Suleiman changes the rules because Tiafimo's Latino, you know, which is a step better than being black. And he says, well, Devin, you know, no, Tiafimo's undisputed now because he got the franchise belt. But before that, before that, before that, he said franchise wasn't a belt. It was just a designation. But now it is a belt because Tiafimo has it. Right. And before that, he said the franchise wasn't transferable. Right. The franchise belt was created for those superstars in unique situations. So it allowed them to be able to have the freedom to make big fights. Tiafimo Lopez is not a superstar. He's beat one star boxer who's on the pound for pound list, which is Lomachenko, a guy who ducked Devin Haney. That doesn't make you a superstar. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hear any of this franchise designation for Floyd Mayweather, who's by far better than all these guys. If anybody should be should have had a franchise designation, he should have. So the, the franchise designation seems to apply to people who have a certain complexion for the protection for the collection. Yeah. But yeah. not to others. And it's so they can duck what appears to me to be young, hungry, black and brown, mostly black fighters, but brown fighters. Black and brown fighters in their prime. For a minute, for a minute, let's go back to the Loma Lopez fight. 
Did you score it? Because I remember I was scoring it over the uh, with you over the phone. Did you? Yeah, score I scored it? it. Yeah. You scored it. How did you see it? Because I think I had a seven five. I, I had the same way. I had a seven. Five. I had the same way. Yeah, I, I had Tia, I had Tia female women winning. Now I think Tia female took more punishment. You think so? In the fight. Yeah. Look at his face. Look after the fight. Look at both of their faces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Tia female got hit with the cleaner shots. But I think Tiafimo did more damage to the body, number one. And I yeah. think Tiafimo was able to, from an athleticism standpoint, was able to keep Loma off of him or make Loma afraid to come in. And Loma figured out, figured out, I can't necessarily get in here without taking a really big time risk. And by the time Loma took that risk, it was too late. Yeah. As far as punishment, I think that that was just a par for the course. Like, at some point, you know, Tia Fimo was gonna get hit. I don't really think that the punishment that when you looked at his face, yeah, he got he got hit, but it wasn't like the markings of of like like powerful punches. It was like, yo, I got hit here, 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 and here because yeah. I had to get his dude something so I could return mine. And yeah. when you really look at that, like you said, Loma wasn't really willing to risk going in and, and really putting it all out there. When he got right. hit with those uppercuts, he started backing off. So I was like, oh, well, he gonna he's gonna have to figure out a way at some point to get some type of punches in. So those little punches, man, I'd take that. If I was to, yeah, well, I'd take that, that little bitty punishment. Yeah. He probably he probably healed up over a week and, and was okay. But I bet you, yeah. I bet you Loma, that shit stuck with him for a while. And then now because it's, it, he's hurt, he's hurt. His pride is hurt. He's coming out saying, oh, I was hurt during the fight or, or, or you know, the scoring was wrong. They were scoring for him. Bro, you had everything in your favor. All you had to do was win a fight. And you didn't show up to yeah. the seventh round. Yeah, he, he had a bunch of yeah, he had a bunch of excuses. Um, again, he was in the you know protection program by old media, and you know, I mean, clear example: him and Terrence Crawford both fought on ESPN. They both were top ranked. They were so eager to put Lomachenko number one on the list. Yeah, ESPN made a fault, made, made a mistake, which was not a actually a mistake. They meant to do it, but they took away Lomachenko's loss to Orlando Salido. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, Orlando Salido. Gave Lomachenko a, a beating that night they fought, and he lost that fight. Orlando Salido won that fight. So officially, Lomachenko has two losses. Vasily Lomachenko has two losses on his uh, record. High Tech, the Matrix, whatever they're going to call him. He has two losses on his record. Uh, but going back to the guy on, uh, at the top of the discussion, Canelo Alvarez, do you think he will ever step in the room with some of, these, some of the better fighters at 168, 160? I think he's going to be forced to step in the ring with one, and I think he'll fight one. And I think the one guy he's going to pass it to isn't anybody that we see right now. It's going to be somebody else in the future who's coming along, who most likely will be Mexican too, who's going to try to play the Canelo game as well. Um, now, an obvious choice, even though I don't think it's going to happen, would be a Jaime Munguia. But Jaime Munguia doesn't have the, the marketability of a Canelo. I think you know, Golden Boy, and, you know, now you got the, when you're not with Golden Boy, you got the Reynosos, that, you know, in a couple years, they'll, they'll look for somebody to pass the torch down to. Of course, you got Ryan Garcia, but Ryan Garcia is not going to make it that up that high in the weight classes, but they're going to find somebody for Canelo to, to pass the torch to, and they'll find a way for him to exit, sta exit stage left gracefully, um, and then claim that he was a how-many-time champion and all of that, but at the end of the day, um, the only fighter I've ever been impressed with that Canelo fought was Mayweather. 
other than that, I haven't been impressed with any fighter. I know he fought Austin Trout. I know he fought um, uh, uh, what's the Southpaw that was at 154, Lara. Lara. You know, Law, but Law, Law was past his prime. I mean, in terms of and, and at that worth, point he Floyd, wasn't though. At that point, he was not past his prime. To to me, he was still a bit over. He was still good, but he was still even past his prime. I think Lara was a better fighter two years before then. Personally, that's my personal opinion. Um, I thought he moved less. He had a Lara had a lot less unnecessary movement when he was a little bit younger. Um, Lara would exchange more a little bit more when he was younger. I think he got a little bit smarter. He got smarter as he got older, and he wanted to avoid more punishment. So he did a lot of movement, and that movement can make it look like you're losing the category of ring generalship. You know, like the other guys walking you down, which affected the, the, the scoring in the, in the fight with Canelo, which I think was a very close fight. But uh, I, I just think that and Mayweather, honestly, well, Mayweather's kind of different. It's like, what's his prime? His prime was the whole time he was really fighting. But to me, he didn't fight Mayweather at his physical prime. He fought him at his mental prime, but not his physical prime. So, um, I'm, I mean, in terms of guys who are on the pound for pound list, I think Canelo has this. What's frustrating about him is that I think he actually does have a high skill level. Yeah. I think he d- is very capable. I think he can be a true Mexican warrior and champion. Yeah. What I'm disappointed in him is, is that it's, it's intellectually dishonest what they're trying to peddle to us. And I think he's questioning our boxing intelligence. Like we don't believe what, like we don't know what we're seeing. Yeah, like and that, that's the part that's disappointing. The is, we're supposed to yeah. believe the media, like we don't have our own goddamn brain. Yeah, That's the part yeah. that is insulting. It's like, come on kid, we see the facade. We see the facade. The, in the last 20 years, we've only seen two pound for pound champions, right? At least to me. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that because of a, a pride thing or anything, but there was Roy Jones Jr. And that was Floyd Mayweather. And they held it down for, t- I know Roy consistently was pound for pound champion for 10 years. And for people yeah. who don't understand what pound for pound is, it started with a, a, a guy named uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. All right. He was the original pound for pound king. And the reason why they created that title for Sugar Ray Robinson was because he went from welterweight all the way up to light heavyweight. And he fought everybody. There was no fighter that he ducked, whether he won or lost. There was no one that he uh, he uh, he didn't fight, but in the process of fighting, he did so well, and he, he always executed such a great amount of skill and ability ability to fight that they were looking at him like, how the hell do you rank a guy like this? Like we can't call him, a, you know, like what do we what do we call him? And because he went from middle from welterweight to middleweight to light heavyweight, they gave him the pound for pound. At welterweight, who would beat him? Who would be the number one guy? It would be him. At middleweight, who would be the number one guy if you were to make a ranking list? When he moved up to middleweight, he proved who would be one of the number one guys or the number top five. All right, light heavyweight, he went up and he tried that. He didn't fare so well because of the dehydration during the course of the fight. And I think around 11th round uh, or whatever it was, they had to stop the fight because he was so dehydrated, he, 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 uh, he uh, collapsed. So today we go by that same standard. What they're trying to do is move the goalposts. Well, you got to have this or you got to have that or well, you're not the champion or you don't have this or you don't have that. Who is truly the pound for pound best currently? To me, I don't see none of these guys as a pound for pound. Uh, If I was to throw names in there, the only person it would be a Canelo because he did move up and he fought guys, but he didn't fight the best. The other guy would be Bud Crawford. He did move up and wait, but 
the fights that we want to see him fight, he hasn't fought. Yeah. I, I, to me, um, there is no pound for pound in the current state of boxing. No. Be, because you do have some guys who will take on all comers, but they tend to be at the same weight class. Like, I think Errol Spence will fight anybody, but he's only been at 147. That's it. So I can't call him pound for pound because he's only fought at welterweight, right? He's on, And so um, we don't know if his skills will be transferable to other weight classes. While we do, we have seen Canelo and Crawford fight at different weight classes and their skills were transferable. The problem is neither one of them fought superior competition. Very you know, okay, Bud at 135, Ricky Burns. We kind of know what Ricky Burns is. Yeah. You know, Bud at 140, Julius Ndongo. We kind of know what Julius Andango is. So, you know, in a sense, neither one of these guys in all the weight classes where they won belts, they didn't beat anybody. I mean, they beat solid guys, but they, they beat didn't beat anybody. Guys, but they didn't beat guys that were superior that you would go, yo, he's going to yeah. have a hard time yeah. with this they, Yeah. Now, now to, Bud's, to Bud's defense, there was nobody at the time in the weight division at 135 or even at 140 um, who – who was really, really a top guy at the time? He was there, so it was a timing thing. Yeah. But he can he cannot say that for at one forty seven. No, he can't. But and and so, also yeah. a problem with the uh, lower weight class was when right before he left one thirty five and one forty, when they made that big fuss about uh, Lomachenko, he st- he tried to stick around. He tried to make yeah. fights. He tried to make fights with Lomachenko. Well, Loma didn't want to fight him. That they denied yeah, him. Loma that. Didn't, yeah, Loma didn't. Loma yeah. didn't want any any smoke with that. So I, I give him credit at one thirty five. Um, I give him credit at, which is a short lived thing. He was really big for the, for the weight class. He moved up to 140. Uh, you know, I give him credit for that, even though it was inferior competition, Danny Garcia at that point had moved up to 147, who would have been the best competition to me at, at 140. Um, to me, if you think about it, the best name on his resume to this point, to me, from a skills perspective is Gamboa. Uh, I, I would say so. Cause Gamboa had more skill than, a, a, a very good percentage of the guys that he fought. And I think the yeah. next would be Kell Brook. But I think the yeah. other part about Terrence Crawford's skill set is I don't want to take away from it, but I just think he yeah. just makes I just think he just makes these guys look too easy because it's him. Like he he goes in there and he kind of just gets them out of there. And it's a to me it's like a flipping a coin thing. On one side he's very good, on the other side is who he's facing. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, so you really don't know whether you really don't know where to, how to place those skills. You don't know you really don't know. You see the skills, yeah, but you don't. You don't know if he can apply the skills against a high level opponent. Yeah, and we've seen a guy like Amir Khan go in there, who was no disrespect to Amir Khan, but he had some fights where he had taken some uh, some punishment. Damaged goods. Yeah, Damaged goods. Yeah. So when he fought, man, that fight kind of pissed me off because it was like, if you're gonna go out, man, at least let the let the let the ref wave the flag for you. You know, like go back up in there. I never seen a fight where it was. It was stopped like that, and then you didn't see him like physically hurt or in pain, you know. And he was yeah. he was hesitant to say until he finally figured out, like, yo, I'm gonna stand on and just say I was hurt to the I was hurt to the body. That, that wasn't a real that wasn't a real fight, bro. That was a money grab, and Amir Khan played the the American race game perfectly. Amir Khan, you know, those type of guys get those opportunities. Um, that other that a lot of black fighters don't get. You know, Amir, Amir Khan got paid seven million dollars for that fight. So I know in you got you know, seven million for that. Se- seven million for that fight, bro. Seven nice. million for that, and it was a and it was a disaster of a pay per view. 
Um, but yeah, he got paid $7 million for that. Um, and we know his whole track record. I'm not here to trash Amir Khan. He's an excellent fighter, amazing skills, great hand speed, good power. Uh, but, you know, his punch resistance, you know, we kind of know what that is. Yeah, he's been, and, he's um, been through some, some, some hard, some hard battles yeah. in his career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's had a rugged past and history and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I give him credit. He has heart. He fight, he'll fight guys. You know, I give him credit for that, you know. Yeah. But um, it is what it is, man. And he got, like I said, he got paid seven million. And uh, so, you so know, if it, it, so, so that we should we should be saying stop the steal before that fight. We should have said stop the steal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, seven million dollars for me. That fight shouldn't have even have even been a pay per view because I was like, man, what are they doing? Just throw it on ESPN Plus and and and, and keep going. I didn't you know why Bob did it. Bob did it because he wanted to say he 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 knew the big fight was going to be him. And Errol Spence, and what Bob was looking to do is what's to say, well, Terrence get a pay a pay per view. He just wanted to qualify that he's done a pay per view, and then what he wants to do is leverage it and say, well, ESPN is a bigger platform, so ESPN, which is Disney, they should have the right to to carry that fight. That's really what he's want because that's what he's going to get. Bob is about the money. Yeah, but he did that all wrong, and in, in the course of, of course he did, of course, in, in the course of. Handling Terrence Crawford's career, he's done a, a bad job. So, um, yeah, we he's are, done a horrible job. This kid is being handcuffed to a radiator, and he can't, he can't maneuver. He can't get fights. Uh, all the fights that he could get, the offers are horrible. Uh, you're offering Keith Thurman and Sean Porter a million dollars to fight. So, so I'm gonna defend them on this one. I'm gonna defend them on this one, and here's why: I, I did some research. Okay, because so, I'm like, how the hell and, do you defend him for that? And, and, and real quickly, and then um, Jess has got here. I'm gonna have brunch in a second, but I, I want to hit this real quick. Number one uh, is Terrence's fault too with with uh, Bob Arum. Absolutely, uh, uh, but Bud is complicit because he had opportunity. His contract expired, and he he upped So you know, you know where all the competition is. You know. Aram has never made the proper investment in you. And history teaches us. And so you look at Floyd left, Oscar left, everybody left. And let's say, well, why did they leave? So they can make big fights. Yeah. What are you asking for? A big fight. So you thought you were going to be the one guy to come along. And Bob was going to say, oh, I love you, bud. I'm going to make the big fight for you. Yeah. No, and he's I'm not. Yeah. So we know what that is. You know, only Bud and his team can answer why they made that business decision. I personally think it was a horrible business decision. Get out of there, bud. Now, that shit is bullshit. Yeah. Now back to the paint to, to to the whole thing with Sean Porter and and Keith number one million, which I'm I'm gonna hit Sean a little bit harder on this one. Um, you know, for the Formella fight, you know, uh, and also for the uh, I think it was the Ugas fight, Sean Porter only made one point two five million dollars. Mm. Now, granted, Bud is a champion, but that's a quarter of a million dollars over a million, and we are in a pandemic. There's no live gate. There's no merch, so the revenue streams are reduced. So one million from a business standpoint, if you compare it to what PBC and Al Heyman was paying these guys when it wasn't a pandemic, is really not that far off. I'm gonna hold Porter more accountable to fighting for the one million because he said Bud is his friend. So y'all hang out, y'all go hoop, make the fight. How can you all? How, how, like if you and I, we from the same neighborhood. If we hoop every day, but we're boxers, we're in the same division, and we want to make a fight, how can we not make that fight? It'd be so very it's got. Easy. Exactly. It's got to be a discount. It's got to be common sense, number one, and a discount given on both sides. 
So you, you're the champion. You want to make the fight because you want to show that you, you're legit. You want to fight some real competition. You, may, you say, hey, Jay, what, what do you want? I say, man, I would like $2 million, right? Then we apply common sense. It's a pandemic. Man, in that Formella fight, you made X. In that Uges fight, you made Y. Like, like, you know, this is what I can get you. And you make the fight. And you porter, you take it, even with the discount. And here's why you do it if you're porter. They both need each other. You see what's happening. Ugas now is the WBA champion. And Keith Thurman, is, and, Keith Thurman and Porter are on the outside the loop now. They, they, get, they get screwed by this. Because Ugas is elevated because people want that belt. Crawford wants that belt. Spence wants that belt. You're not going to make any more bigger money fighting that division unless you're fighting Crawford or Spence. So now, if I'm Porter, I make that fight with Bud because I need that WBO belt. That's how I become relevant to make a big fight. Yeah. So take the million dollars, take the fight. You can't tell Bud, we can't be Rod Bud and say, Bud, take 60-40, take a chance. But at the same time, I feel like Bud, as a friend, you can go back to Bob like, yo, Bob, give him 1.7. He'll take the fight. Give him 1.7. Well, yeah. As but, a friend, but, but just, yeah. sneak something yeah. up in there. Like, you, yeah. for, for Bud more than Porter, he needs that fight. Like, you don't. You don't have nobody on your resume. Well, now they both equally need that fight because Porter's screwed too. Who, who's Porter's gonna? Who's Porter gonna fight and make some money or or, or, or get relevant? Who, who's he gonna fight? Who got? He already fought. Who got? But but even for Sean though, he's fought the best. Like he could he could he could do damn near anything he want to at this point. Not saying any should, but he's yeah. in a better position than Bud is. Look at his yeah, resume he, he, versus uh, uh Bud at one forty seven. Well, true. So resume wise, yes. Business wise, no. Okay. Bud, Bud, Bud can make the bigger between the two. Bud can make the has the bigger money fights available to him. But not while he over right. there. Well, not while he's over there. His contract expires, and he can buy himself out of his contract. But he's got a belt, and Spence wants the belt, and Ugas has a belt. Those are the three major players. And then Manny is, you know, champion in recess. He really got stripped, but he's champion in recess. Manny could always come in from the outside for another big payday. And if he, you know, decides he wants to do it, which he's probably smart. What he's saying is, I'm not going to fight both of these guys. I'm going to let them have their whole tournament, fight each other. Yeah. And if, if I feel good and I want another payday, I'll come in and fight for all the belts. That's what Manny's doing. Let's be real. I, I salute to Manny because he a legend. I can't really deny this dude is one of eight, eight weight classes. Eight, you know, like I... I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, dude and done a lot for boxing. You know what I mean? So right. um, to me, I just feel like at this point, who guys could fight whoever he's going to fight. Do you really think that he's going to fight a, a tough fight when he gets that belt or as he has that belt his first Ooh, time? Ugas, who guys? Who guys has already accepted Errol Spence's offer in principle to Good do luck, a unification. Because let me tell you something. Ugas is not going to have a mandatory right away. And Ugas, again, Let's let's look at Ugas' situation. I feel like Dan, I, I think I feel like Porter and, and Garcia could say, "Yo, are we gonna do that to go fight?" We gotta have now. Ugas isn't gonna do that. You know why he's gonna do that? There, there's high risk, very little reward. He's not gonna make millions of dollars fighting Danny Garcia or Sean Porter, and he already fought Sean Porter to a close fight, and got a decision against him, or even Keith Thurman. The biggest fight he can make money wise is against Errol Spence, and it's an easy fight to make. Let's not forget Ugas is a Cuban fighter. Hungry, came from a deprived situation. You know, he, he scratched his way up to the top, and now he's there. And it's about money. 
Ugas' biggest payday has been $800,000, bro. Ugas has never seen a million-dollar payday. Guess what Ugas will see if he fights Errol Spence? A million-dollar payday. Definitely. It's called, remember, remember what Floyd said? It's prize fighting. Fighting, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Ugas, why would I fight Sean Porter, who he only made $300,000 fighting Sean Porter, by the way, if you look at the purses. Why would he fight Sean Porter for half a million dollars at the most when I can fight Errol Spence and get two, three million, or even four million? Easily. So all right, I've been I've been summoned. So I, I uh -oh. have to go eat brunch. And bro, peace out. And let's, uh, this is part one. We'll get into part two. All right. Yeah. Just, we'll just talk later on and, and, and figure it out. Oh, cool. I'll hit you. Appreciate you, bro. Take it yep. easy. Uh, all right. All right, I'm out.